Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Went Black. Please welcome back Paul Aloisio of the band Restless Spirit. I think this is Paul's third time on the podcast. And uh, this week, we're doing an interesting exploration of what we consider to be our favorite films of the 1980s. What makes this episode even more interesting is that Paul was not yet born in the 1980s, while I was a young man in the 1980s. So we have two different perspectives on this uh, excellent decade of movies. Before we get going, I want to shout out the other horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. Of course, we kicked a week off with Horror Wolf 666, brought to you by Brandon Legion. Returning from holiday is Into the Necrosphere, brought to you by Jackie Smith. Of course, Wednesday is Everything Went Black. Thursday, Necro Thursday, I return with co-hosts Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid for Necromaniacs. Friday, Spitball Media comes at you. Saturday is a day off. And Sunday, Carl Hikara brings Sold Knocks. Carl and I are deep into our collaboration, Darkness Weaves, where we're exploring the work of Carl Edward Wagner. I'd like to also welcome our newest member to the Horseman, Cheyenne, with his excellent show, Iblis Manifestations. If you want to support the show, please join us on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can support the show and get access to bonus content. For $5 a month, you get access to all the bonus content, plus early access to the regular stream shows. And for $25 a month, you can be a sponsor for the podcast and advertise your business, your band, your project, or even your own podcast. So now let's get going. Welcome back, Paul. It's uh, great to have you back on the show. Yeah, man. It's good to be on. Is it snowing out by you on Long Island? Uh, not right now. Are you guys getting snow? Yeah, I just um, looked out the window. We got some flurries out here in New Jersey. So, um, uh, you know, we might, might get some actual winter weather right now, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I'm hoping for it. I mean, like last year, we, it was really pitiful with all the snowfall. So I love the snow. I know a lot of people don't, but if it's going to be winter, I'd prefer to have snow. So it's like worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, the winter weather myself, you know? And um, yeah, so it's nice, you know, to actually have a season, which is uh, something that's rare. It seems these days. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I invited you back on the show, we always have a lot of fun talking about whatever. And uh, there's, it's like a sort of a mini series that I'll be doing with a variety of different people. And you're the first one. And uh, we're going to pick a, uh, in this case, we're doing a decade um, and talk about our favorite films from the eighties this time around. And um, what I, what I, why I picked you is because I was in high school in the eighties and uh, you were probably born in the eighties, I imagine. Right. Actually, no, I was born in 1990. So there you go. You weren't even alive in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, an interesting perspective um, to get on someone who wasn't maybe experiencing some of these films 
obviously you weren't alive when some of this stuff came out. <laughs> that's like real trippy, man, to think about it that way. And then, you know, for me, some of these, some of these movies I saw in the movie theater, which is like, I don't know, it's cool. It's cool to talk about it this way, you know? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that the eighties has such like a nostalgia to it, but for everyone, it seems. And I wasn't even alive in the eighties. Obviously I missed it um, just by one year, but there's such a field to pretty much everything that was made in that decade that uh, I think that it's funny. Um, the uh, newest generation, I don't know what they're called at this point. Cause I'm a millennial, I guess. Right. So whatever the TikTok generation is <laughs> um, have like the same reverence for the nineties um, that I feel my generation has for the 80s and they weren't even there for it so it's definitely an interesting cultural phenomenon yeah that's that's kind of what I want to talk about is why what how do you how do you view the 80s you know what I mean like what's your impression of the 80s I just want to see how and I'll, I'll tell you what my impression of the 80s is it's uh it's difficult because on one side you have the technicolor, you know, vibrant silliness and, and wackiness. But there was also a lot of darkness in the 80s that I think almost uh, gets sort of lost to time. Right. Because so much of pop culture uh, really shows the big hair and <laughs> the colors and, and stuff like that. Uh, but I'll know... I know even from talking about people that were alive in the eighties about even New York city and the difference uh, between times square and now, um, and just everything that was really going on under the surface culturally. So it's interesting because it's, it's not talked about a lot like the eighties. You always, when, when it's brought up, especially in any sort of TV special or, or things like that, it's always, you get the synth music and the pop music and stuff like that. But if you go a little deeper, um, j just like with any decade, really, there's more to it than meets the eye. But I feel like the 80s, especially because it was just so outlandish with some of the, the popular culture that was coming out, it really gets uh, glossed over. Yeah, because people like have this kind of, I would say, maybe a little bit of a disparaging point of view on the 80s. And um, I don't share that that opinion because, you know, having been a, been a kid in the 80s, um, it was the beginning of a lot of stuff for me. You know, for example, um, you know, thrash and heavy metal and, you know, a good hardcore music all came out in the 80s, in my opinion, the beginning of a lot of subgenres of music that um i you and i are both very active in you know what i mean like you know metallica slayer you know that whole movement started in the 80s you know and then and even like you know bands like black flag you know circle jerks dead kennedys um bad brains like all that stuff was like i mean black flag actually started in the 70s but you know they to me they're an 80s band like the rollins era of that band and um that's the kind of the stuff that was the start starting point for a lot of stuff that today is like still very relevant, you know? And that was like, like you were saying, there was a darkness that was like the underground to like Cindy Lauper, you know? And yeah, 
you know, the kind of like sweet pop music, even though I like a lot of that music too. I mean, it's interesting because like as a kid, you know, new as a very young kid, new wave and punk were almost indistinguishable to me when I was a kid, you know, because it was like, everything was like new and you didn't really understand the difference between like Durant, Duran Duran and, you know, and like, I don't know, like REM or something like that. You know what I mean? There was all kind of yeah. like on MTV, like people that were into weird music liked a lot of the same stuff, you know, bands like X and, you know, the Cramps and like all that sort of stuff were like, you know, starting points for a lot of people. And um, you just, it wasn't like today where there's like, everything's at your fingertips. You had to go to a record store if you were lucky to have one and kind of absorb things like organically, you know? So you would get a, a really interesting cross-section of culture. You know, when I, where, I, where I grew up, there was a place called Trash American Style, which um, anyone who's listening to this show, like has heard me, we've, I've actually had Malcolm, the uh, former owner on several times. And um, that was like the cultural center for, for um, if you, if you were in Danbury, Connecticut, or like the Carmel, Mayapack, uh, Putnam County area in, uh, in New York, that was like the, the spot where everyone bought records and you would find, you know, like a St. Vitus record there, like a black flag album, you know, gun club records, you know, everything, everything that was coming out of you know, youth of today. Like I wasn't really into that stuff, but like, you know, judge and all, all that like straight edge hardcore stuff was there. And um, so, yeah, that's like the beginning for a lot of things. And then with movies, you know, obviously there was like the super bubblegum stuff. And then there was like what we're going to get into, like our top 10 films of the eighties. And I think it's really interesting because there's, crowd pleasers and then there's like super underground dark stuff that was like so influential you know and uh yeah i don't know that's why it's interesting to talk about the stuff with you yeah i mean as someone that was not there obviously um it's interesting to, to talk to someone in a more uh deep meaning about how i perceive the decade as yeah. opposed to, you know, you were alive there. Um, so yeah, man, I'm I'm definitely excited to hear your opinions on some of these movies. Yeah. Let's start. Let's go from uh, I don't know if you have an order or not. Mine's in a loose order. So maybe we'll start 10 and move up to, to number one. So with mine, I sort of it's funny because I did it uh, from the start of the decade to the end. Um, but the last one um, would be number one regardless. Okay. So I, th I think that's probably the easiest way that I had mine organized because. So before we started recording, we were talking about that this is very difficult to put together because the 80s for any horror movie fan was it was great it's yeah. like the the golden age some would say uh but we're talking about a decade of of film not just horror so i really tried to uh just jot down some of my favorites just overall if i had to bring a collection with me on a, a vhs collection 
with me on uh, a desert island, would I bring only horror movies? No, I wouldn't. So I sort of tried to pick and choose from each one. And therefore, I found it pretty difficult to actually say these are my favorite over over others because if i chose just horror movies for all of my favorites i feel like i'd be knocking out some some ones that i really really do love um so that's why i chose um to just sort of pick and choose from each genre and and yeah. not really put it in order yeah i i um that's cool that you did it in chronological order so yeah mine also is like a desert island um you know, sort of list. And I initially I had like 30 movies on here and uh, I have, uh, you know, 10, this is, this is our, this, this is the criteria. So I have 10 that are in my go bag at all times in case an emergency happens and I have to run away. And then I have the runner ups, which are the ones I'll grab on the way out of the house. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's how I have mine. They're in order somewhat. But there's uh, that that's my criteria for this list. And then the other anything that I, is not mentioned here is uh, something that I look fondly on, but I could probably live without maybe. Yeah. So, you know, especially uh, another difficult thing about this list is that there are so many movies that really just define genres during the 80s. And um they're they're pretty well known but for good fucking reason yeah so totally. so it, it it was really difficult to choose uh you know some of the more underground stuff compared to what i did end up choosing and that's just because of you know the weight that these movies carry so my criteria was was exactly like yours like there's so many more movies i love and if we had like infinite time I would be adding to this list, but if I had a bag that I had to pack with me and I knew I was never going to get sick of these movies and they were the best of the best, um, but also varied because I don't only watch horror movies. That's what I would choose on this yeah. list. There you go. Yeah. So, so let's start off. Let's go, you know, since you're the guest, you, uh, you know, and I'm always, I'm always, I always try to be a good host. Yes, that's cool. <laughs> and you are a good host. Okay, so 1981, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, I really don't think that needs much explanation. Uh, but I will say that I feel Indiana Jones, especially in this day and age, sort of... I don't know if it's not as popular. Um, for example, they just had a new movie come out, Dial of Destiny. Uh, but I don't hear that many people really talking about, or people my age at least, how much they love Indiana Jones. But I always did. I mean, you're going to see Harrison Ford pop up numerous times on this list. I, I love the guy. I love the actor. I, I mean, so much that I named my dog Harrison Ford. Wow. <laughs> super fan uh, awesome. yes um well i i really just thought it would be a a good name for a dog and everyone else seems to think so too but i i do love harrison ford um and yeah i mean raiders of the lost ark really just i remember watching it as a kid 
and just being, I, I don't know what the word is, but it's a, a feeling that you get when it's just amazement. You know what I mean? Maybe that's, maybe that's the word. Just there's a sense of wonder and a grand adventurous scale that you really don't see in many movies these days. And it feels like an experience even to this day watching it i still like you could tell it's a movie and i like that you know does that make sense no totally man and and i gotta be honest with you it's not this was almost on my top on my 10 it's and it but it's in my runner my my uh runner-ups my mentions and uh i i was a huge fan when i was a kid watching this movie i still watch it like every now and then it's still something that's on uh you know, I'll, I'll put it on maybe once a year. I'll watch the very first one. And um, I'll tell you why I like it, because it's it's like a pulpy, like, genre movie. Like, you can see the story serialized in, like, weird tales or something like that. You know what I mean? With, like, like a Doc Savage kind of story or something with, you know, because there's, yeah, you got some some high adventure, you know, it's a period piece. Uh, you know, there's Nazis in it, you know, there's, there's like uh, magic and, you know, like, like supernatural stuff. It's like, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a weird tale. And that's why I dig Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, uh, you know, it's it, it, like I said, it's one of my mentions it did not make the top 10 for me. But, hey, it's a great movie. It's great. And, you know, there's something for everyone in that movie, really. I mean, it's funny. It's exciting. There's tension. And like you brought up, and I was going to bring this up too, the supernatural elements. I mean, that ending scene uh, with the face burning and melting to this day is still like, oof, that's, this movie's yeah. PG. And then you realize, obviously, <laughs> there was only PG and R back then, from what I understand. And right. uh, I don't think it was until, what, what was it, like uh, Gremlins or something like that? Uh, sort of spurred the whole PG-13? Maybe. I'm not sure exactly. I used to know. I, I used to be a wealth of endless knowledge, but as, I, as I've gotten older, I've lost some of it along the way. But, um, I mean, someone correct me, uh, whoever's listening, uh, but obviously, you know, seeing that, that face melt scene at the end, it's like, wow, man. <laughs> you can get away with a lot more stuff in just a PG movie back then. And that was just because there was there was no in between. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I was really into like you know, like Captain America and the Red Skull and all that sort of stuff, and um, you know, reading like collections of those old weird tales, um, stories like short stories, you know, Doc Savage and like all that sort of genre, like pulpy genre stuff, and and Harrison Ford is great. I remember him from you know Star Wars and all this other stuff, you know. Han Solo, you know, he's 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 a an iconic actor, and that's probably Indiana Jones is probably one of my favorite roles that he's done. Absolutely, and and not only that, like he feels like a very uh, I want to say classic actor in the yeah. way that you you put him in a new movie uh, against uh, you know more modern day actors, and it's almost like back then um, a lot of the really good, the really big actors, um, for me at least, they came, it seemed like they came from more, you're watching theater, you know? 
Like yeah. a lot of things they did were exaggerated. And, and I feel like their definition of realism is different from, uh, you know, an actor really breaking into the scene in 2024's realism. But I like yeah. that. And, that yeah. and that's what I meant. It feels like a movie. It feels like you're watching an adventurous tale. You're not really um, convinced that it's real. You know, it's it's like you said, you're reading a pulpy story. It's just on the screen. And I love that. There, there's a sense of wonder and adventure and with the score and everything that it's really hard to capture uh, with modern day movies. Yeah, totally. I, I, I have not seen any movies so they're any good or you breaking up oh i haven't seen any any of the recent indiana jones movies so i don't know oh yeah i mean it's they're kind of whatever <laughs> you kind of know what you're gonna get like they're all right i don't think they deserve all the hate that they get but um i think that it's also might just be because i really just love indiana jones and you know, I'm just happy that it's still getting uh, at least some sort of attention. I mean, there's even a new game coming out for the Xbox One, which I, I found really surprising. But uh seems like there's a market still there. So hopefully they just don't reboot it because that would just be a damn shame. So uh, my number 10 is uh, The Lost Boys by, uh, from 1987, directed by Joel Schumacher. And um, to me, this was like one of my entry points into like the modern, the modern vampire, you know, because I think prior to that, I was like watching Dracula and like, you know, like the Hammer horror films, the Hammer versions of Dracula with, um, you know, Christopher Lee and all that. And um, like the Lost Boys was like the um, like the hip modern version of telling a vampire story you know the, it made vampires cool yeah yeah and what almost and i'm going to mention it now because it's also one of the mentions but the ne near dark too which came out in the same year those two movies were like vampires are cool you know they're not they're not like these ancient creatures anymore they're they're modern you know leather jackets and you know popular music and not for nothing that scene with tim capello it might be the most 80s scene ever. Oh, you mean that the super jacked, like, sax guy? Yeah. I, You know, that's actually a good song. I listen to that song all the time. I still believe. I love that song. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The, um, Near Dark and Lost Boys, like, they were kind of tied. And I had to decide which one would, would be the one that I would go with. And you got Bill Paxton. And you got Jason Patrick. And this is like, not even, this is just my preference. The sort of brooding Jim Morrison-esque Jason Patrick character that played Michael in The Lost Boys. I, I favor that a little bit more than, than uh, Bill Paxton, even though he's great and he's the coolest and he's a, you know, that's a, a huge loss to the acting, you know, industry. I just, I got to side with Jason Patrick's performance in The Lost Boys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talked about Near Dark before, and, and if there was one thing I really took away from it is that it could have used more Bill Paxton, if anything. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Lost Boys, for me, definitely uh, would be higher on the list. 
because you get more of the vampires you really want to see. And I also wanted to say, going into this, I had a theory about your list and my list. And I won't say it yet. I'll see. I'll say it later uh, okay. if I'm proven right or wrong. Uh, but <laughs> the Lost Boys was also going to be on my list, but I had to uh, take it off for uh, numerous reasons because of like we were talking about before. Some things had to get cut out. Gotcha. So what's next on your list? So still chronologically, uh, Blade Runner, Ridley Scott, 1982, <laughs> another Harrison Ford movie. Um, obviously loosely based on the android's dream of electric sheep, uh, which is very different. Have you ever read it by Philip K. Dick? I'm sure yeah, you have. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I love it. Um, that movie just it just bleeds atmosphere. Um I feel like it's my favorite atmosphere in any movie ever. I mean, the rain, the neon, and the soundtrack by Vangelis. I think that's how you say it. It's just... Yeah, Vangelis. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, so with that said, though, the 1982 version, I believe the original version, I believe that's the one that has Harrison Ford narrating over it. Yes. Okay. Um, I prefer the director's cut, which is obviously not 1982, um, without the narration. Uh, the narration is is kind of funny to me because he sounds very detached. And uh, if anyone's ever looked into the movie and done some research, it was because he purposely supposedly gave a poor performance because he did not want to do the voiceover. Oh, um, yes. It was originally taken out. Uh, 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 sorry. Eventually taken out. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm kind of cheating by still going chronologically. Uh, but yeah, for me, I mean, it, it's a, it's a dark brooding movie and I love the ambiguity at the end. And every character in that movie is, I think, just awesome. Um, so what is your opinion? And actually, what do you feel about Blade Runner? I love it. I mean, it, once again, this, it's on my mentions. This is something I'm going to grab on the way out of the house, but it's not in my top 10. But uh, it's an amazing atmospheric movie. Um, Rutger Hauer's great in it. How, you know, Harrison Ford's awesome. I love that it's at nighttime. There's like it's raining and night all the time in this world that these people live in, and it's a uh, it's a near future uh, where you can actually see the city turning into that slowly. You know what I mean? So it's like it feels like it's it's only a few years from whenever you watched it. So it felt like oh yeah man Blade Runner world is going to be like five years from now you know it always felt like that and in your opinion is uh Decker a replicant I'm going to say that Decker is a replicant that's my opinion yeah me too yeah that that's my feeling about it and that's what makes the movie even more like intense it's interesting because um you know 
with all the director's cuts and and things like that, scenes were taken out and put back in and just rearranged and stuff to sort of mess around with the ambiguity. So it's like, what's the actual version of this movie? Yeah, I know, right? And, and I, I feel like that also will slightly make a difference as to whether or not he is a replicant. But I, I'm firmly in the camp that he is, just to put that out there. And I think most people are these days. The people yeah. that don't, I, I feel like it's probably just wishful thinking. It's definitely something to revisit again these days, especially with AI and, uh, you know, that reality seeming more and more, more and more realistic, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I didn't even think of that, but I, well, AI to me, it's kind of very scary and uh, the capabilities and <laughs> who's to say replicants won't be running around uh, soon enough. I don't know, man. Yeah, that movie's definitely this like intense kind of existential uh, story, you know, and, and definitely read it alongside the, um, the you know, the the novella too, you know. Yeah, the book is great. It, it, it's very different um, from the movie, but I I would definitely say you should read it. Now, my number nine, I don't know if you've seen this one. This is a, uh... I'm not going to say it's obscure, but it's not it's not a go-to movie by for this guy. And I'm talking about 1986's Cobra. Cobra. <laughs> Direct, you know, have you ever heard of that movie? Is it the one that I'm thinking of? 1986. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone. Oh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Directed, yeah, nice. directed by George Cosmatos, who is the father of Panos Cosmatos, who brought us Mandy and. Uh, beyond the black rainbow yes yeah have you seen cobra you know i haven't and it's one of those movies i've always been like if it's ever been on like i think i've seen it on amazon prime before and i'm like oh, i gotta watch that movie add it to the list and it just sits on the list forever you know what i mean i'm sure you have something like that too yeah no <laughs> uh, so no i've never seen it but uh if it's ranking that high for you i gotta change that immediately watch this movie like every four months i think it's, oh my god <laughs> I'm, I'm probably building i'm probably building it up but i love this movie it's um it's just like a it, once again we're, we're talking about like 80s dark sort of like neo-noir sort of films and i would say that this is kind of it falls sort of in that realm you know like loosely with like terminator loosely like there's no cyborgs in this, but there's like a death cult and uh, Sylvester Stallone is this like, you know, pop that doesn't play by the rules. You know, he's always wearing sunglasses and uh, it's just that kind of 80s movie it takes place in L.A. You know, it's a lot of shooting, a lot of gunfights, a lot of people getting beat up and uh, a very cool um, villain in this scary, very scary villain. And uh it's what's funny too is is um when you watch these old 80s movies where the cops are like the good guys and there's like the sympathy for this kind of like right wing like fascistic sort of uh yeah like cop cop land cop world you know it's like it's funny like as a you know as an adult with a more reasonable worldview looking back on these movies it's kind of entertaining you know 100% and, and now is definitely the time for me to uh to check this out because uh 
when my mom, uh, she lives in North Carolina. Uh, she has for the past, I don't know, five years, something like that. But uh, she came up for Christmas. And I guess all the Rocky movies are on HBO Max. Yeah, they are actually. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, right around Christmas time, you know, as we're all getting ready and then, you know, that lull right after Christmas before New Year's, we were very busy uh, but uh, with all the family stuff. But there was, the, you know, that weird period where no one's doing anything and everyone just sits around. Yeah, I swear we probably watched like three or four Rocky movies in one fucking day. Yeah. And then uh, she was watching the the Sylvester Stallone documentary on Netflix. So oh, that's just, great. Yeah, the end of December was just sly over and over and over again. So I think I'm going to have to check it out now. Dude, I, I highly recommend this movie, Cobra. I've talked about this many times before. It's a great movie. I mean, in my opinion. I mean, don't... It's not a great movie, but it's awesome. Let's put it this way, you know. Those are the best, though. Those are the best kinds. And uh, with that said, though, your statement just now, it's not a great movie, but it's awesome. There are so many movies from this decade that I I wanted to put on my list, but I just couldn't uh, for that reason that you said, because a lot of the movies are just great movies, and they're also great movies, and they're also awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I think only really one movie that I would say isn't really a great movie, but it's also made my list, unfortunately. But there are a lot more <laughs> that I wish I could have. And maybe we'll go through honorable mentions after this if we have time. Also, uh, Stallone wrote the screenplay for this, too, this Cobra film. And it was uh, based on a, a, a book called Fair Game, uh, written by uh, Paula Gosling. And... um Stallone wanted to go more violent and the studio didn't like it. Stallone would have, would have straight up made this into a horror film probably, but you know, they kind of curtailed a lot of that stuff. You know, when it was him basically versus Arnold, they're trying to outdo each other for the whole decade. I I could definitely see that because Arnold did, did Terminator and what the first one was 1984, something like that. Um, and I don't think Terminator 2 was till till the end of the decade, so I could see yeah, Term- him definitely want to outdo the violence. Yeah, Terminator was 84. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, what's up for you now? What's what's next for you? All right, so 1982. I had to put this on there. The thing, John Carpenter. Of course. Yeah. Um I remember the first time I ever saw this movie. I, uh, funnily enough, it was over the summer. I had, I used to just buy DVDs without really caring if the movie was going to be good or not. And I would just like, I would go on Amazon. This is back when I was like, first found out about Amazon. I didn't have that much money to just be like spending on stupid stuff. Well, not stupid stuff. Cause it's not stupid to you and me, but you, you get what I'm saying. Oh, I get so I'll buy, saying. I'd buy a lot of like used DVDs and stuff like that for like $2 and then shipping would be like another $2. And I would just have like a stack of movies that I'd be meaning to get to. And uh, one night I couldn't sleep and I was like, Oh, you know, there's this John Carpenter movie I've always been wanting to see. I must've been like 15 or 16, something like that. Uh, and, <laughs> and it was the thing. 
So I, I put it on. I was like, I don't know if, if I don't like it. I know it's supposed to be really good. Maybe I'll just like turn it off and go to sleep. But I ended up staying, staying up until like 5 a.m. watching this fucking movie. I remember when it ended, the sun came up and I was just like, wow, that was amazing. You know, because you think when I was younger, thinking about the 80s, I was like, oh, all right, it's supposed to be like gory and bloody and stuff, but it's the 80s. How, how gory could it be? You know? And I <laughs> I was so not prepared for it. Just with with the dogs and the makeup work is just absolutely incredible and special effects in that movie. It it's surprising to me that even to this day if you go on any like 80s movies list, period, by some of the more like highbrow publications, the thing will still be on it. Oh, yeah, and for it, sure. It's gory and disgusting and once again has an ambiguous ending, um, which, you know, everyone knows what the ambiguity is about. Um, but those are, those are, two things or a couple things that you'd think a movie like that would really not retain its popularity but it really has I mean, to this day it, it's still revered and, and rightfully so to me obviously Halloween is a masterpiece but I would say that his magnum opus John Carpenter in my opinion would be the thing yeah I tend to agree with you the, the thing I have high regard for that and a close a very very close second to that is uh prince of darkness as yes either i and i flip back and forth on which one's my favorite of the two but as of right now the thing is my favorite of the two you know john carpenter i know this sounds like a silly thing to say but he's got so many good movies that a lot of people i feel just uh what's the word that i'm looking for uh maybe peripheral horror fans people that like horror movies they've seen halloween they think they you know they know nightmare on elm street and, and stuff like that and they know who john carpenter is they just haven't checked out like um the mouth of badness is great um I, I mean he has so much good shit prince of darkness obviously is one of them um with uh alice cooper's in that one right yeah alice cooper and, uh, Senior, yeah partner I'm blanking on his name, but uh, he played Loomis. Oh, Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance is in Prince of Darkness as well. As a priest, yeah. Yes. Great, great, great movie with the, the ooze and the slime. Great movie that I feel like these days not enough people have seen, and I feel like that should be rectified immediately. It's another weird movie. I mean, John Carpenter is a badass, man. Yeah, that the thing... Prince of Darkness are are my I can't they're they're it's a coin toss between the two of them and they both have like a heavy like Lovecraftian like cosmic horror like angle which I I dig as well too. So there are a bunch of movies on this list that it sort of go by like what you were saying, like most people wouldn't really say that Prince of Darkness and the Thing can go head to head, but it's what you like, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, I agree with that, but for my list, I was sort of like, ah, well, what would I really like if, if, if all of John Carpenter's movies from the '80s were just wiped from history, 
could I live with myself if I chose anything else between the thing over the thing? I don't know if I could. I tend to agree with you and you'll, and you'll see why I agree with you later on in this list. So yeah. Yeah. So next up for me is a manhunter by in 1986. It's a written and directed by Michael Mann. Are you awesome? Awesome. Awesome movie. Yeah. It's a, Hannibal Lecter, Silence of the Lambs, before all that stuff. It was ba- based on the Red Dragon. You know, um, yeah, there was a series written by Thomas Harris, uh, you know, that sort of was, that's what gave the the groundwork for all the Hannibal stuff. And uh, this one came out, like, before all that stuff. This is in 86, and um, very tense acting by William Peterson as Will Graham. Um a character actor, Tom Noonan, plays uh, the Tooth Fairy in that. And Brian Cox does a great job as Hannibal Lecter. And you'll know Brian Cox from uh, Secession. It's basically yeah. the same story as a Red Dragon. And I know that in 2002, that was made into a film. So it's essentially the same story. Yeah. Um, Manhunter is one of those movies that definitely almost lost to time because it's so overshadowed. Um by you know the silence of the lambs and anthony hopkins but that is an awesome fucking movie man and my theory is is starting to uh gain weight just so you know (laughs) i i I go i go with this one more than than the red dragon i mean the red dragon's cool you know it's got ed norton in it you know ray fines is great anthony hopkins is in it that's the old, Anthony Hopkins is the only thing the Red Dragon really beats Manhunter with. Like the whole vibe of that movie. And William Peterson's Will Graham, he kills it as Will Graham. Just like this intent the intensity of that in his portrayal of Will Graham is like the best. Yeah, I, I would agree with you 100 percent that it's better than Red Dragon. Like, not even a question. Yeah. All right, so what's up for you next? All right, next. <laughs> Another Harrison Ford. There you uh, go. Return of the Jedi, 1983. Um, and I did choose this over... Uh, I'm blanking again. My, <laughs> just so you know, I'm kind of sick, and I haven't really been sleeping much. So my brain isn't working as as uh, well as it should be, but I chose this over the Empire Strikes Back. That's what I meant to say. Um, okay. For the simple reason that when I was a kid, I just returned to this movie a lot more than than Empire. There was something about goodness you know, triumphing over evil at the end. I love the forest of Endor. Um, I love the lightsaber battle between Luke and Vader. And I just love how the story was wrapped up so, so nicely. It, it's just another movie that, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, like just makes you feel good. Like, yes, that was a great, thrilling adventure. Um Obviously, the soundtrack is out of this world. John Williams, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I know the Ewoks 
are uh, very divisive. When I was a kid, I, I didn't even know that. I was like, oh, these things are great. <laughs> uh, not knowing that, uh, from what I understand, back in the day, they got a lot of flack um, for being too silly and whatnot. But I really love Return of the Jedi. Um, I mean, you got Boba Fett and the Sarlacc pits in the beginning. And I'm not sure. I think we've talked about this before. I think you said you're more of a Star Trek guy, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Star Wars, but I'm I'm more into Star Trek, though, honestly. Yeah, Star Trek is definitely more cerebral um, and explores a lot more themes than the, the pretty straightforward ones in Star Wars. But Star Wars is a spectacle that I, you know, I always go back to. And uh, thankfully, I have, I think, original copies of the original trilogy. They're all beat up like to shit but uh it's nice to go back and be able to see the movies as well apparently they weren't intended to be seen but originally seen you know there was a marvel comics uh series too star wars yes and, uh, what's interesting about that is it had marvel created their own star wars stories because of the length of time between the movies so the first uh, Star uh, Star Wars comics adapted the film, the first movie, and then however many years until the next Star Wars uh, movie came out, they went off and wrote their own Star Wars lore, and it was uh, they were actually pretty cool comics, and you could probably I mean you could buy them as trades now, which I definitely recommend people checking those out. It's it, they're just it's just cool. It's like a yeah, it's just interesting to think of like you think of that universe as being so well established, but Marvel was taking like license between movies and creating their own stories, and it was pretty interesting. Well, I mean, back in the day, the whole Star Wars extended universe was just fucking awesome. Yeah. And uh, you know, Disney threw it all out and now they're just legends, so technically it's not canon. So I, I think this day and age, a lot of people won't even pick the stuff up that's not canon. But I say, who gives a fuck? Go read it because it's awesome. Like people were just I, the feeling that I would get a lot of those extended universe. And even like you're saying, the Marvel ones are sort of just like people thinking, you know, what would be awesome. You know what I would like to see? And then just making it happen instead of listening to all these rules and, you know, these. I, I don't know. I, I'm not very keen on how star wars is handled in in this day and age but the extended universe of of yesterday was really fucking awesome totally so what's yours man this one hellraiser 1987 classic movie one of my favorite all-time films one of my favorite all-time clark Bar barker novellas the hellbound heart mm -hmm. such an incredible story um what can I, you can't put into, I can't put into words how much I love Hellraiser and the only, only the first one, like second one's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I used to be like, oh yeah, I backed the first and the second one and none of the other movies. But lately I've kind of turned my nose a little bit onto the second one, even though I still think it's cool. But the first one really is like such a heavy, like emotional story, you know what I mean? And, uh, and the Hellbound Heart, um, you know, Clyde Barker novella, 
one of the, one of the things they kind of leave out is like you get it's more of a love story between Frank and uh, Julia, you know, and all of his perversions and everything. There's a statement at the end of the Hellbound Heart where he's like talking to Julia, and he, and he, he I'm going to paraphrase it where he's like, "It's like maybe if I had met you and fallen in love with you, I wouldn't have gone down this like dark path and done all these terrible things." And they leave that out of the movie, but it's the the spirit of that is is in is infused in the film and uh frank is like the most fascinating character in that in the story i think he's like such a cool like sean chapman is so great i mean of course Doug bradley's an icon but sean chapman as frank cotton is like to me like the most interesting character in, in hellraiser he's fucking evil man and yes, we did a, a whole podcast on that. Right. We both we both agreed, and I was uh, I was wondering if you would have agreed with me uh, when we originally did it that Hellraiser Two is pretty fucking overrated. Yeah, no, definitely, man. You know, and I, I even have less of a like a my my opinion is diminished with it. I think uh, diminished since then too because I watched really? it. Really, I was just like, eh, I could have done without this one. <laughs> yeah. I, you really could have done without all of them, I think, as you know, yeah. some of that, some of the older, the, not older ones, some of the ones after the second one, I enjoyed, but they aren't good. And we also talked about that on the episode that we did. They're, they're shitty fucking movies. It's just like junk food. And it's so far removed from the spirit of the original. But I don't know. They entertain me. And sometimes I have a pretty low threshold. <laughs> and so there was a period of time where I watched, I think I watched all of them besides the one with Walmart, uh, Doug Bradley. Oh, yeah. Which I'll never watch ever. Yeah. Never, never, never. But, uh, they, you know, there were movies in there that were stupid but fun. I mean, Lemmy's in the third one, which is great. Um but yeah, the first one is the only one that I would actually say this is a great movie, really worth watching. Yeah. But I think we've talked about Hellraiser to death at this point between you and I, so I don't really have much to add. Um, <laughs> so what do we got next for you? All right, next, 1983, might be a weird one uh, for those that don't know me, but for those that do know me, makes perfect sense. Uh, so this would be 1983 uh, Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. Uh, love it. Um, you can't not, like, being that it's from the 80s, I had to edit. I, I've watched it so many times in my life. And uh, it's directed by Bob Clark, who also did Black Christmas. Yep. And after watching Black Christmas later on in life, I realized, you know, Bob Clark, his there's there's almost like an eerie undertone, even to a Christmas story. The way that the film is presented, the way that it's shot, this weird glow that he has on everything. Um, that I after seeing Black Christmas, and also, I think we've talked about this before, but he had involvement with uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one, that was like his first movie. Like, that was like his like a student film or something he did. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a similar feel between all these movies. And this is a Christmas movie, but I after seeing those movies, I can't shake that vibe, that that just eeriness. And I want to say it's a coldness, um, which is weird to say about such a Christmas movie. But I mean, like half the movie of a Christmas story is just kids being in like really unfortunate situations and being upset about a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I had to add this. Um, I love Christmas. It's just my favorite thing in the world. And uh, once again, going with a theme that if I had to, you know, take a bag and it was the only thing I could, you know, bring with me, there'd have to be at least one Christmas movie in it. So it had to be this one. Yeah, it's a good one, man. We just, I just watched that over the last, the holiday last month, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's a movie that like, you know, I think uh, when cable was still a thing, I think it was like what TBS or something would just play it uh, just like 24 hours a day. And uh, I would just like leave it on in the background and never get sick of it. But it's one of those movies for me, you know, like I don't even really need to watch it. If if, if it's just on in the room, I'm happy. <laughs> Speaking of Bob Clark, you know, we, we mentioned like there was, you know, children shouldn't play with dead things, black Christmas. And there's another film we made between those two called death dream, which is like a super grim monkey's paw uh, tale that I definitely recommend. Yeah, Death Dream is great. Do you under do you uh, see what I'm saying though about sort of uh, you know Black Christmas and uh, a Christmas story with that? Do you get the same feeling, or am I just crazy? Yeah, there's almost like this weird pessimistic vibe to his movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think people really pick up on that. I think a Christmas story is especially one of those movies where it's like everybody's seen at least parts of it, so they you know. They think they've seen the whole thing, but then they sit down and watch and like, oh, it's not really what I expected. Not that the movie's ever gonna throw any punches at anyone, but you know, I don't know. Watch Black Christmas and then a Christmas story and children shouldn't play dead things. And um, you know, just whatever else from Bob Clark. And I, I think uh whoever's listening, I think you might feel the same way that there's a, a very common thread between all those movies, surprisingly, but I believe it. I'm up next now. Yes. So my number six, this is an easy one. It's uh, the Terminator from 1984. Yes. And similar to Hellraiser, I'm all about just the first movie. Really? Yeah. Second one's cool. But I'm all about the very first Terminator. It just has that vibe that James Cameron, neo noir, you know, it's dark, nighttime. You know, you can tell that it just had this very intense, this intensity to it, which I appreciated. Yeah, I don't think many people uh, would choose that over Judgment Day. But well, I, I could definitely, I could definitely uh, see why someone would. And especially yeah. for the 80s, Judgment Day wouldn't even make sense because that was 91. Right. Um, but yes, uh, the first Terminator, it, it it's a lot different from the second one. I'm not sure which I would choose, truth be told. And once again, you know, Arnold, you have to have an Arnold film in here at least once because he's such an icon and he really came into his own in the 80s. 
and he was bad as hell in the first uh, Terminator. Maybe that's why people really like Terminator Two more. Yeah, he's more of like a a good guy. First yeah. one, he was not a nice creature, cyborg. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. You know, yeah, just like the whole the whole trip, man. Of of it just just nihilistic view of the future and once again you know we're talking about ai you know we were talking you know about um you know blade runner earlier and this is like you know that same dystopian future where the machines take over you know or or not not so much in blade runner but there's like you know this like you know human humanity versus machine type of vibe going on yeah you know it's something that uh i think is pretty timeless actually since the dawn of invention people have been scared of technology and maybe not scared is the word but wary of it and comes across a lot in uh literature and movies and even music yeah so yes that is that is a great i think that um anyone that doesn't like terminator is just fucked in the head Truly. <laughs> I mean, how could you not? How could you not love Arnold, first of all? He's great. And and also, once again, Dark Dark Horse Comics did a really cool uh, Terminator uh, comic book series for anyone out there who's interested. So, uh, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Dark Horse did like a, a, a great Aliens expansion comic book series. And they also did a thing from another world, too, in addition to the Terminator. Really cool. Did they do Predator? It did Predator. Yes, they did. Yes. I when I was younger, I really liked Dark Horse. Because it was like, you know, you had Marvel and DC, but uh I also really liked Image and they had Spawn and uh, yeah. you know, the more underground they could get away with more stuff. That was yeah, really cool. cool. So next up for me, nineteen eighty four, Ivan Reitman, Ghostbusters. Yeah, man. You can't um, go wrong. No, you can't. And it's another movie that, first of all, I still find it funny as hell. I mean, Bill Murray's I, one of my favorite comedians. I, I just think he's great, um, which I don't think is a crazy thing for anyone to think. I mean, you know, everyone loves Bill Murray. Um, and this is another movie that was sort of like, there were a lot more underground stuff that I could have chosen, but... I don't know, man. There, there's something so nostalgic and awesome about Ghostbusters, um, which is also funny because I wasn't around for it. And it still has this nostalgic film for me. Um, and I think that's something that's very unique to the 80s, that it could pull so much nostalgia from people that were not even there at all. <laughs> Also, just Bill Murray is just a great actor in general. Like, you know, he's kind of like transcended just being a comedic actor these days. Yeah, I mean, Lost in Translation is one of, uh, another one of my favorite films of all time. Um, yeah. Like, at, like, no words for that movie. I just love it. So for me, next up is 1983's Videodrome, written and directed by David Cronenberg. Yes. Yeah, and that that's just like a movie that really can't be remade or modernized because of the use of videotapes in it. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, like, how would you even remake that movie? Because, like, 
videotapes aren't even a thing at all. People would, most people wouldn't even know what they are. Yeah. I, I don't know. Instagram. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Netflix. Yeah. That, that's, that's a great one. And that's, a, you know, that's another movie um, that a lot of the highbrow publications, because I, I was curious when I was making my list, um, how much mine would reflect uh you know more like mainstream view and videodrome videodrome was in a bunch of them as well which i was surprised about yeah definitely i mean cronenberg was like sort of people started pay you know paying attention to him you know what i mean like as an actual you know legitimate filmmaker after all you know after the 80s i think he started be, you know becoming like you know thought of differently not just a genre filmmaker yeah, Cronenberg for me is like you, you really I know what I'm looking for in his movies and a lot of the body horror and stuff like that it's like if I really want to just feel like grossed out I'm going to go for one of his movies uh, there's just like I don't even know how he thinks about that stuff uh, unrelated but um not unrelated sorry different decade i think but dead ringers i think that was in the 90s i really like yeah. that movie too and i never hear people bring that one up that's a good one man that, that's a sleeper by him that's like his uh in the mouth of madness you know how like that's a kind of a sleeper carpenter film i feel like dead ringers is a sleeper for cronenberg uh, oh uh, you know what it's actually 1988 so oh it is damn i thought yeah. it came on oh geez okay yeah i thought it was 90s too but yeah, I mean, Cronenberg, absolutely amazing. Um, another one of the genre's all-time best. I mean, I don't know. I've never met a person that was like, hey, I don't like David Cronenberg. And if they did, I'd probably smack them. So let me pull up. Sorry, my, uh, my list on my computer. Wait. So next up on mine, finally is a movie that is uh it's not a great movie but it's just awesome and with all you know with all the heavy hitters i at least wanted to put one or more on this list and i finally got to going chronologically uh this might be a strange one also but it would be 1986's friday the 13th part six jason lives um which I think is my favorite Friday the 13th movie, which also might be controversial. But the reason for that is it's stupid and it's fun. And that's really all I want from Friday the 13th. Right on. I got to say, man, I'm not Friday the 13th guy. I never was big into Friday the 13th. Yeah, I think we talked about that before. Um but, it, you know, it kind of makes sense because it's it's just junk food, you know, like all of the Friday the 13th movies, especially after they st they just kept bringing him back and bringing him back and bring him back. And it gets so ridiculous. Um, but part six for me, it, it's almost like an action movie. There's loads of blood and explosions and, and, you know, Jason, he's just like a hulking beast in that movie and it's ridiculous. And I, I love it for that reason. That, to me, Friday the 13th Part 6 
is the pinnacle of Jason Voorhees, and nobody can tell me otherwise. It's ridiculous, and it's fun. And from Friday the 13th, that's really all I want because they're, you know, they're ridiculous. We're kind of getting down to the wire now, which is cool. These like last few. Yes. So, so for me, my number four is 1983's Scarface screenplay by Oliver Stone and directed by Brian De Palma. And uh, all star cast, of course, featuring Tony. As Tony Montana, Al Pacino. <laughs> we yes. got a uh, beautiful uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Elvira. Uh, Frank Lugia as Frank Lopez, one of my favorite character actors. Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio as uh, Tony's uh, sister. And uh, the great Stephen Bauer as Manny. And this movie was like, I mean, I, I loved it when I was a kid because it was just super violent. You know what I mean? And, it, you know, I, I loved crime films. And But as time went on, I realized that this is a total exploitation film. Hmm. It's like a high-budget grindhouse movie. And that's how I classify it. You want me to blow your mind real quick? Yeah, go ahead, man. Never seen it. No! <laughs> I've never seen it. Dude, you got to see it. I know it's it's, it's and I have no excuse. <laughs> I've never seen it. I know nothing about it besides that Al Pacino's character is named Tony Montana and there's cocaine and the iconic line. But that's the extent. I've never seen it. That movie is like one of the most excessive films I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's like and like I said, it's like it's like a sleazy grindhouse movie made by like legit filmmakers. You know what? Um, and this is, I don't know, maybe this is going to make me sound like a jerk, but I feel like the, like the way you're describing it is awesome and it makes me want to watch it. But the majority of people that I know are really into that movie just tend to be douchebags. <laughs> I, I can see that, but you know, you know what I'm saying? So it was yeah. like, that kept me from watching The Sopranos for a very long time as well. Oh, well it's like, yeah, yeah. It, it's like the same type of, of people. And I, I, The Sopranos is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't watch it for so long because I would just think of you know the douchebags that are super into it. But call the way you're describing it makes me uh, really regretful that I haven't seen it and I've let my uh, prejudice against douchebags <laughs> get in the well, way of watching an awesome movie. Tell you what, man, you don't have to tell anybody. You know, it could just be like something that, uh, you know, maybe you and I share. You should go see it. You don't have to tell anyone. And then you can <laughs> tell me what you think about it and then we'll just leave it between the two of us. <laughs> All right, fine. You know, it's it's not that I'd ever be embarrassed about liking something. It's just, you know, something, you know, when you see a lot of people that are into it and then you see the type of people they are. Oh, dude, I completely know what you're talking and, about, but yeah. But I'm going to watch it now because I've never heard it described the way that you just described it. And I'm super into Grindhouse. Yeah, so. you think about the, the, the Oliver Stone, you know, man. You think about Brian De Palma. You think about Al Pacino. You think about Michelle Pfeiffer, you know. Yeah. There's a, it, there's a scene where a dude gets cut up with a chainsaw in a shower. I'm like, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say? It's a preposterous. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like these guns and, you know, violence and cocaine. And, you know, it's just, uh, 
takes place in Miami. You know, it's crazy, man. It's, it's a excessive movie. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, no excuse, because especially like I love Al Pacino and I, I, I have no right to sort of be like, oh, douchebags like that movie. So it kept me up because Goodfellas is also one of my favorite movies. And that's around the same uh, fan base, I would say. But uh, so I'm going to rectify it. I'm going to rectify that. And I'm going to re- rectify Cobra immediately. Maybe this week. We'll see. Don't favor and check those out for sure. Yeah, I will. Just for you, Mike. Thank you. Yog. <laughs> All right. So next for me, uh, 1986, Stand By Me, Rob Reiner. Um, what's that? Excellent movie. Great movie. Um, I used to watch it with my dad a lot. Uh, he'd always sing that song, Paladin, Paladin, Where Do You Roam? That uh, and I don't know why he did, but he he would quote that movie all the time. So it has a special place in my heart. Um, when I first saw it, and I was a kid, I was like, "Wow, you know, this is kind of dark." With like, you know, the dead body at the end, and the whole movie they're searching for a dead body, and uh, it took a very long time until I found out it was based off a Stephen King uh, short story. Or novella, I think actually called the body. Um, great movie. I mean, really great movie about you know. I would say the loss of childhood innocence and growing up, and the ending still kills me every time. About you know when they're going into how everybody grew up and moved away, and uh, Gordy's fate, and you know, just everything about it. Like, it's just a gut punch. So when they're all walking away at the end, it's it's still, re- like, almost brings me to tears, even though I've seen it, I don't even know how many times. Soundtrack is, am- soundtrack is amazing as well. It's just, to me, that's one of the defining movies of the 1980s. I'll have to agree with that. And, you know, Stephen King is always big on sort of, like, um, emotional uh, coming of the it's like you know even you know even it has a bit of that too you know what i mean yeah just a uh, a little more fucked up yeah definitely more fucked up for sure <laughs> all right so where are you uh we already talked about this movie my number three was the thing nice you know and uh just want to add the you know ennio morricone score incredible um you know and of course the creature effects by uh, rob botine it's uh, groundbreaking. I forgot to say this before, but um, speaking of creature effects, uh, Screaming Mad George. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, I think he did Society. Society, yep. That's right. Yes. That was another movie um, I wanted to bring up before uh, because we were talking about body horror and just weirdness and that, you know, I just... That was another movie that unfortunately did not make my list, but uh, you just reminded me. Um, and yeah, I mean, the thing, man, what more can you say? So now we're really getting down to it, man. We're our last two films. So what's number two for you? So number two, I am going to take a uh, wager against, I don't know, myself. But I'm going to say that, yes, this is chronologic, but also my number two are probably my two favorites 
of the decade. So it worked out pretty well. Um, 1987, Clive Barker, Hellraiser. There you go. Uh, I mean, love the movie. You hit the nail on the head. We've talked about it many times. And I just, I, I fucking love it. Um, I think I brought this up on the podcast we did about it. But uh, for anyone that didn't hear it, I want to bring it up again. There were very few movies that I've ever been scared to watch as an adult. Um, and this is one of them because I saw the Jesus wept scene. I don't know where I could have seen it, but at a very young age and it fucked me up. Just fucked me up. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, you're, like you're not supposed to be watching it, watching it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And for years after I had really cut my teeth on a lot of extreme horror, I still didn't, watch Hellraiser because I was scared. So I don't think I saw it until I was 22 because I was scared. And uh, it still messed me up, but I could deal with it. And uh, it will always have a place in my heart for being one of the only movies I've ever been too scared to watch. And I finally did. And it became one of my favorites. And what more is there to say about Hellraiser? I mean, I just absolutely love it. As do you. Oh, yeah. So my number two is 1986's Blue Velvet, written and directed by the great David Lynch. Great movie. And this um, was like the movie that really put him on the map for a lot of people. Definitely with me. It was the first Lynch movie I'd ever seen. I didn't see Eraserhead until after this movie. And um, it introduced me to uh, Kyle MacLachlan. Uh, I'd never seen a movie with Dennis Hopper before this one. The really? uh, yep, the beautiful Isabella Rossellini, um, Brad Dorif was in this, Laura Dern, Jack Nance, who played Racerhead and would show up in a lot of Lynch's later films, and uh, the creepily majestic Dean Stockwell in this film as well. And just um, the story too really resonated with me because you know, I was a young kid and uh, I grew up in a smaller town and the the meditation on the darkness that's kind of below the surface and like uh mostly what you would perceive as being this kind of idyllic uh you know town you know where nothing goes wrong there's nothing ever no crime no nothing bad ever happens but then you got guys like frank booth lurking around and people getting abducted you know and you know that's and I started, it changed my perspective on life, actually, when I watched this movie. I mean, I saw it at a young age, too. So that's what it really affected me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Great, great fucking movie. Um, Kyle McLaughlin looks very young in that movie as well, uh, especially compared to uh, Twin Peaks with the slick backed hair and his character is uh, a lot more expressive than the weirdness in Twin Peaks. Are you a Twin Peaks fan? Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, first yeah. first season is my favorite. I mean, I like I like all of it, but first season the first season is the best in my opinion. Yeah, I mean D- David Lynch, he's just he's just great. Um, a director that took a while for me to get into. I didn't understand it. I uh, watched a Razorhead for the first time many many years ago, and I was like, why do people love this movie? I fucking hate it. it makes no sense. It's stupid. But then I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I watched it again. And I was like, 
this is dumb. Like, I don't get it. So then I watched it again. And it took about like four watches in like a month or two. And I was like, why do I keep watching this? And I was like, you know what? I actually really love this movie. Yeah, I don't get it at all, but I keep watching it. There's something that brings me back. And I think for David Lynch, there's just some weirdness that you don't really need to get it. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely a big David Lynch fan, but I was not in the beginning. I, I just didn't get it. And I'm glad that I uh, forced myself to watch Eraserhead as many times as I did, because then I went back and uh, I watched a lot more of David Lynch's stuff. And now I'm a huge fan. Yeah, it's like I, I and to be honest with you, I um I didn't even connect Blue Velvet with Eraserhead originally because I did, you know, all I knew was like Eraserhead was a shirt that all these punk rock kids wore, you know what I mean? And I was like, well, what's this Eraserhead thing? And then I found out that, oh, it's the same guy who did that movie Blue Velvet that I just watched, <laughs> and it's like, and that's how I connected the two. Yeah. All right, so now. Down to the wire. Number one. Down to the wire. All right. Number one for me. 1987, directed by Sam Raimi, Evil Dead 2. Well, well, well done. That's a great one. Of course. I, there's no other movie in this decade that could ever take its place. Huge Evil Dead fan. Um, I mean, Bruce Campbell is a legend in his own right. I think that as much as I love the first Evil Dead, the the goofiness of the second really just gets me. And it makes the bizarre gore scenes that much more fucked up because it's juxtaposed against such a silliness. And, uh, you know, Sam Raimi making his own genre of splat stick, I thought, you know... I had read in the liner notes, actually, of I think it was a special edition DVD, once again, that I, I would just buy off of uh, Amazon. And him talking about uh, his him wanting to bring his love of the Three Stooges into horror. And I was like, how the hell is that going to make sense? So I read it before I watched the movie. And then I watched the movie and I was like, oh, that's what he means. You know, when he's fighting with the hand. And, you know, it's, 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 it's just a lot of fun, but it's also bloody as hell. And the cartoon blood really, really gets me. I love it. You know, it's like other world. It feels like a fever dream. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I could totally relate to that. And that I mean, like, in, yeah, that was in my mentions actually. Yeah. I mean, the dude has a chainsaw for his hand. Like how much more ridiculous can you get? It's true. So what's your number one? My number one is uh, Raging Bull. All right. Yeah, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, can't go wrong. Yeah. And, of course, that's got Robert De Niro. It's the story of Jake LaMotta, the boxer. Uh, Joe Pesci's in it. The the late, great Frank Vincent is in it. I love anything that Frank Vincent is in. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just such an intense movie. And I've, I've always loved it. You know, black and white too, right? Yeah, black and white. So there you go. It's artsy as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, it's just like 
Have you seen it? Uh, it's another movie that I've seen parts of, but I've never seen the whole thing. And uh, I don't have an excuse for this one either. There's nothing, there was nothing like uh, Scarface that made me not want to see it. Um, and once again, you know, love Joe Pesci, love Robert De Niro. Why the hell wouldn't I see it? Just haven't, just slipped the list. Yeah, you know, and, and it's the, uh, the the taxi driver team, you know, Martin Scorsese and the screenplay by Paul Schrader. So, I got to you know, say, uh, I'm kind of surprised that's your number one for the whole decade. Uh, dude, I, I love that movie. It's like one of my favorites of all time. Nice. That's got really a cool. Of, got a couple of, uh, of honorable mentions. Um, some of them we mentioned already, like Evil Dead. Uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, 1986. Yes. By John McNaughton. I, one of, probably one of the um, first Michael Rooker movies I've seen. Uh, Thief, written and directed by uh, James Michael Mann, uh, 1981. It's uh, Frank... Uh, James Kahn's in it, Tuesday Weld, Willie Nelson, Jim Belushi. Uh, Angel Heart, incredible movie. I mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark and Near Dark being in there. Um, and now, I didn't know how to fit this in because they, these are not, I would, I would on the way out of the house, if I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw these movies, I would definitely grab these two films. 85's The Breakfast Club and 84's 16 Candles by John Hughes. Yeah. You know, and being someone from, you know, Generation X like myself, you have to have a John Hughes mention in this thing because that was like basically the era of my childhood, you know, what, what these movies were showing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you ever watched any of those. Yeah. And John Hughes, I mean, once again, it's got that nostalgia to it for a period that I was not alive for. Um, and I think he probably encapsulates that. Uh, what's the word? I guess teenage longing or angst the best out of, out of any director in that period. Those movies, are, I, when you go back and watch them, especially 16 candles, little, little rape. It, it, a, little bit, a little bit rapey at times, especially the Michael Anthony Hall um, character. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's funny that you bring that up because I was even watching uh, Rocky and, uh, you know, Rocky and Adrian when uh, they're in his dinky little apartment and she keeps saying, I want to go, I want to leave. And he's like, no, stay, stay. And like sort of coercing her into staying. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff back in that decade where it really didn't age very well, and oh, in this day and age, it it be you know sexual harassment, understandably so, and it yeah. almost makes you cringe while watching it. But you got to just take yourself out of it and be like, well, you know, in the time that the movie was made, I guess that was I don't know how people were making movies. Yeah, that's the thing, man. It's like in, in 16 Candles, there's a scene. I think his name's Farmer Ted, the uh, Anthony Michael Hall character, where it's like he's with that blonde uh, woman or girl, and they're drunk, and she's like, oh, I think we did it last night or whatever. And they were basically 
implying that it's cool to uh, take advantage of a drunk uh, girl, <laughs> which is kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it's like weird, weird you know, <laughs> it's definitely, not, definitely weird, you know. Yeah, it's not not fucking cool. It doesn't age well, but whatever. But yeah, aside from that, uh, you know, pretty good, uh, you know, teenage uh, romance films, you know. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong. Um, one of my honorable mentions would actually be uh, 1983's Risky Business. Oh, yeah. Um, which is another movie. You know, everybody knows because Tom Cruise dancing in his underwear and they think uh, they know what the movie's all about because it's been memed to death. But it's a great fucking movie. And the soundtrack is incredible. I listen to it all the time by uh, Tangerine Dream. Yes, totally, man. Fucking awesome soundtrack, man. Um, also, my honorable mentions are sort of just out of order. But uh, Lost Boys is on it, 1987. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, that's also another movie that's just so wild and silly. And I just loved it. I, I remember watching for the first time being like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? Um, it's very on different. Side, on the side of the fence of not being a fan of that movie. I know, Are man. You? I'm not. I cannot get into Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 ever. Really? I, I try so hard, but I just cannot get into it. I mean, it it's ridiculous. And it, it makes sense, though. You know, do you... So, opinions about the first one, first of all. Oh, brilliant. Classic. Yes. It's brilliant. It's classic. The second... I agree with you 100%. The second one is just ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's such a shift. Um, But I saw it in my formative years. And I, it was another one of those movies that was like, what the fuck is going on? I didn't realize horror movies could be so weird. So it has a special plate in my, a place in my heart. A funny slip of the tongue. Uh, special plate, plate in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bill Mosley, I, I, I love him. Um, but yeah, it, I, I can understand that. So there will be no arguments uh, here. Also on my special mentions, Henry Portrait of Serial Killer. Uh, 1986. That movie just really makes me feel disgusting, like I need a shower. Uh, so it does its job very well. Um, what else do we have here? Oh, okay. The Mutilator. Oh man, dude, good call, dude. Fucking, you want to talk about just 80s trash? I mean, so. You know how the movie was originally called Fall Break. Yeah. And that's how you ended up with that bizarre theme song. I mean, how many horror movies have a full house type theme song in the beginning of it? That makes no fucking sense. <laughs> you know? Um, and so there's just like such a weird vibe because it starts out like kitschy and 80s pop and then i mean there are some gory scenes in that with the fish hook through the woman's stomach that's just like oh my god man that is brutal that i that is a movie that is seriously slept on but it's absolutely one of my favorites because it's it's just it's wild and it's 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 just fucking great but 
the issue with that movie for me and why it didn't make it to the top 10 was because if you look at my top 10 list, it, it's like there are just so many that are really just masterpieces. And I, I, you know, I don't know. I probably couldn't live with myself if if I kicked off Hellraiser or, or Stand By Me in favor of The Mutilator. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt about some of the runner ups I had, you know, like John Hughes movies. Maybe maybe in nineteen ninety they were more significant to me, but now they're just not. They're they're mentions, you know what I mean? Yes. And then I will say the last uh last two runner ups would be Reanimator, nineteen eighty five, uh Stuart Gordon film. Um and nineteen eighty one's Evil Dead, and the only reason it's a runner up is because I had to choose between that and evil dead too. And, uh, I like the sequel better. So, you know what, man, I do dig reanimator from beyond, but they just didn't make it, you know, mm -hmm. I, I love Stuart Gordon. Um, I love HP Lovecraft, even though these are not really, you know, faithful yeah. adaptations of the, of the material, but ah, they just didn't make it, man. It was, I don't think I'd grab those on the way out. Yeah. I think uh, those are also movies for me, well, Reanimator, especially that, you know, getting into horror as, as a younger person, hearing about all the legendary movies, and, uh, you know, you have uh, more well-known ones like Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and Texas Chainsaw and stuff. And then I would say like second tier well-known right before you really get into the underground stuff you get stuff like reanimator or the stuff and shit like that right. um so it's like it's not it's it's pretty mainstream by today's standards but i remember when there was less information out there even before you know everyone started really getting into horror um when i was uh, very young watching reanimated and be like whoa what the fuck like this is pretty wild man yeah, totally. So, and with that, I wanted to go back, and my theory was correct. Okay. So my theory was um, that despite the age gap, we would have pretty similar opinions on a lot of these movies, and our lists, if they weren't going to match up completely, because I knew they wouldn't, that uh, a lot of mine or a lot of yours would be on either one's honorable mentions. Yeah. Now between, yeah, definitely. I, I was kind of suspecting the same thing myself. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it could go either one of two ways, <laughs> obviously where it would be like that or just complete opposite. Um, and I, I think the reason for that would probably be because the 80s at this point were how many years ago you know it, it, it's not like yeah it's not five years ago the stuff that really stands the test of time it's it's got to be quality shit and for anyone that's really into you know movies and horror in general they're gonna know you know what to stay away from and uh what's really worth watching and also i feel like we do have similar tastes and a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I'm pretty happy that my uh, my theory held up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I kinda, right from the beginning. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that was kind of like why I wanted to do this. See, like either it's going to be completely different, but, or, or very close. And I thought it was very close. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. E even when it comes to like, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, we're both dudes that are into, you know, we're metal musicians and I don't know what people think about you, about how dark you are, but it's like, you know, throwing those John Hughes movies in there. It's like, that's, that's pretty awesome. You know, it's like, there's not just evilness <laughs> in heavy metal. <laughs> like people like to have fun and they like stuff that makes them feel good, especially from the eighties. It was, uh, you know, from what I think was a wild time to be alive. And uh, what I know was a wild time for movies. Oh yeah. Well, Paul, thanks a lot. As usual, it was a blast. And uh, we definitely got to keep doing stuff like this in the future. Yeah, man. Anytime. I'm always down to come on this podcast and just hang out. Hell yeah, man. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Take care. See ya.